0: Hello and welcome to the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. This is episode eight of the podcast series. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, there's an intro episode that you could go back and have a listen to, which will explain what this series is about. Uh, Today's guest is a lady called Kate that I was put in contact with via uh, a mutual friend Um, and we've had a few conversations and I'm really excited to have her on today. Kate, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast series.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so nice to finally connect with you. I'm excited and thankful for you making this podcast. So, oh,
0: thank thanks. you. Me too. I'm yeah. so glad we've connected. So, let's start with your story around your uh, situation right now. So, your family dynamic, um, your age. If you're happy to reveal that, your, your um, any children, partner, uh, what you do for work
1: yep excellent cool so um yes so I live in Hobart um with my husband Nick and our little boy Spencer um and I'm 33 so at the moment I've got a few things on the go but predominantly my work and background is in social work so Mm -hmm. I work in um schools and I'm also working self-employed as a clinician and having um my own business on the side Mm -hmm. um my husband recently made some work changes so he was in management sort of in the fish farming aquaculture sort of industry but we've recently made some changes sort of uh, with his work which has been really exciting um and life-changing for us so what's your dad? uh so he basically left his job in early december Mm-hmm. Um, he'd been sort of working um, pretty long hours and for the last, I guess, two and a half years since Spencer was born, has been leaving home sort of at about, you know, quarter to four most mornings. Mm. Um, and so we just made the decision for our family sort of back in, in about October that we really wanted to prioritise the time with one another. And so with my support and a lot of conversations, we made the decision that he would quit. So. Wow. Um, yeah, which so yeah, we sort of went through a period of time where we were sort of telling people that he was semi retired and having a bit of a laugh and things <laughs> like that. Um, but it's it's turning out really well for us, so which is which has been really exciting. So yeah, he's looking at um, he's set up his own business now and kind of doing that sort of work as well. So good, yeah, you. that's great. That
0: takes a lot of yeah. um, obviously bravery and And definitely support with the family unit to be able to make a big decision like that. So it's fantastic that you've been able to get together as a family and as a team and make that happen. It's very exciting.
1: Yeah, it's not easy um, making big life changes like that. But for us in the end, we just sort of thought, yeah, this is going to be a really good decision. So, yeah, yeah, it's exciting.
0: Excellent. Well, tell us about yourself kind of pre Spencer and maybe coming out of school, had you always decided you wanted to get into social work or what was your path from a career, general life kind of view from coming out of school?
1: Yeah. So I always worked a lot when I was younger. Like I always had a really strong work ethic and drive that I have no doubt my parents um, did sort of instill in me. So You know, when I was in high school and college, I sort of always had like multiple jobs. Um, And so when I finished high school, I went to Rosny College and it was quite a pivotal time for me because I think at the time I was working in retail and I'd had a manager kind of say to me, um, I I was enrolled in like a retail course and she, she sort of said, what are you doing? Like you're already working in retail. Like you probably should, you know, strive a bit higher um so I ended I think in the first week of college I basically um changed my whole course enrolment and enrolled in like all pre-tertiaries having never really written any essays or anything in in high school and I guess so headed down sort of that uni pathway I'd, I'd always wanted to help people and sort of be in a helping and of service type role um but probably back then didn't really have the self-belief or had the had had the push, I suppose, to explore that. So, mm. yeah, this this relationship that I'd had with that work colleague at the time was really, really crucial for me. So I went to college and I um, studied, you know, a heap of pre-tertiaries and then decided that I would take a gap year after college, which was, you know, one of the best things I probably ever did, um, which, you know, involved a lot of partying and I lived in the Sundays for a period of time um, which was a lot of fun and then after that I came back and decided that I would start sort of going to uni which um, initially was looking at sort of doing some law and psychology work with the plan of sort of becoming a psychologist but after a couple of years I sort of decided that you know research methods and quantitative data was not for me and that social work was um yeah the best um change for me really which was which was huge so it was it was a big time in my life and i had to travel to launceston um for a couple mm. of years to complete that so back then i think if i hadn't have been the age that i was and the the point i was in my life it would have been quite difficult to complete that at the time You
0: mean if you were younger, Um, like
1: like the gap year? Yeah, I think if I hadn't had the gap year and I hadn't have been in maybe the financial situation that I was in Mm. and living, um, I, I was living on my own, maybe with a boyfriend or something at the time, but just the situation that I was in allowed me to kind of do do that because it was a lot doing a social work degree is a big commitment in the sense that you have to do two placements basically unpaid for three months um two years in a row so I, I, i basically worked you know i was working a lot while i was completing my placement um so i'd sort of yeah And that's why towards
0: the end of it, isn't it? That all placement, one of my really close friends who's going to come on the podcast soon too, actually, she's had just done the same thing and she decided to do this a lot later in her life and has a young child. And, you know, luckily she was in the position of having a partner that could support the household and allow her to kind of go and do that because if you're doing yeah. all those placement hours you have a child especially as well and then you're kind exactly. of only really able tough. to work on evenings or weekends it's yeah you know it's huge but then at the same time I guess it is a qualification that you really you can't learn everything in the books and you know that's exactly right most yeah. things would be the same but I think particularly in such a relationship driven a highly emotive kind of position yeah you need some mm. You need some um, direct experience,
1: so. Oh, that that is just like I'll never forget that time in my life where I went through, um, yeah, doing those placements and, and, you know, I think social work is the kind of job that you, it's such a privilege and, and doing mm. any work that's of the service is such a privilege and, you know, people often say you don't get into it for the money. Yeah. Um, because your heart has to be in it and yeah yeah it's so great to actually talk to you about it because i really had forgotten <laughs> about sort of doing that back then but yeah i am i'm so fortunate i think that i did do it back then because it really has opened up so many doors for me and without a doubt is such a big part of my identity and who i am as a person and will be with me forever mm. and i know that 100 percent. so that's amazing. Yeah. Did you,
0: um, did you find work quickly after you had gotten oh, qualified? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I was kind of already working in the sector anyway. So I think, again, just my personality, like when I was about, oh, how old, maybe 18, I was volunteer. I was a volunteer with Lifeline as a counsellor, a telephone counsellor. Even back wow, then, I thought, wow, 17. I was so young. Wow. Um, I, I worked with the Mental Health Council working with um, young carers. And so I'd become like a volunteer and um, helped sort of create a resource around that. Um, so I'd always kind of already been in that space, and then I'd picked up some work for a non not for profit. Um, whilst I was doing my social work degree and then when I finished I I kept I kept working with that agency for a while and then picked up my work in schools um, so it, it's been really easy for me to ha- to get work and there is no short there is no shortage yeah. of work I think in this industry
0: like it's not yeah easy, it's, yeah Do yeah because like I went through a stage I've always, Um, been interested in this area but I naturally just fell into finance and several times looked at you know moving into sort of social work or you know Mm. even psychology child psychology and things like that but the commitment of university and and having worked full-time from a young age and being used to a certain level of income I always went I just I don't think I could you know could do it take that time but my main thing that I was worried about was that um, I'm a highly emotional person and I didn't know if I would be able to switch off and not take things home. Yeah. Yeah. How do you I mean, do you I, that side of it?
1: I guess it's death. I mean, I've been doing it for like such a long time mm-hmm. now, but it's something that you'd certainly get better at with experience. And I think with age and even motherhood, like which we'll obviously touch on, but I, think it's like any job you learn the skills and if you've got good support and good supervision which you know as a good social worker you will engage in those processes and um I think you have to just really you know when you're a social worker you you a good one you you will be very reflective and you know a lot of people will say I'm deep and I'm always so interested in what's going on and being connected to myself but you have to be because you have to be really aware of what pushes your buttons and know what your triggers are. And, yes, we're human. Like, I will get triggered at times and things will upset me. But in the actual interaction and engagement when you're helping somebody, it's it's that a skill that you it. learn. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a skill that you learn. And, look, to be honest, I, I can pretty much say I really don't take work home with me Um, it's not something that I struggle with I still after all of this time love getting up and going to work I struggle in the sense that there's so much I still want to do and I don't feel like I've got enough time (laughs) Um, but that is just again the life season that I'm in right now and I know that that's a not, not a bad thing because there's always so many different opportunities and different things that you can do. And that's what I love about it, because there's so much variety. And there is absolutely, as I said, no shortage of work in any area that you can create so many different opportunities where you might feel passionate. So Yeah.
0: And every day would be so cool. different, I'm
1: sure. It's so different. And that's probably one of the biggest skills I think I've learned and that I have is that dealing with um, and, again, I'll touch on this with motherhood, I suppose, is that being in social work, you never know what's going to walk through your door. You never mm. know what's going to happen. You cannot prepare for it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think I thought I was going to be really prepared for motherhood. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's just been a whole new ballgame.
0: Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. That? So maybe tell us about... Um, when you met your partner and decision, yeah. part of family, how you how, falling pregnant pregnancy, all that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so um I think Nick and I've been together for coming up about eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, we I feel so fortunate that we found one another. Um, I'd had a couple of other long term relationships before we met one another, and you know I was single for quite a period of time. Before we were together, which I will also say was a really great time in my life. And to anyone, Mm -hmm. whatever, whoever's listening, I always say, like, it's good having some time on your own. But we got together, I think we've been together for about five years. And we were, I must have been, I just turned 30, I think, at the time. And we were in Sri Lanka traveling. And I guess my biological clock had really kind of started ticking. Mm -hmm. and so whilst we were on that holiday we'd sort of discussed you know when did we think might be a good time to start thinking about starting a family and we basically decided that any time from then would be a good time not knowing you know how long it might take and I suppose like most women probably think oh it could take a long time you're not sure yeah. We were quite fortunate that we did fall pregnant. I think maybe it might have even been the second month that we'd been trying. So, you know, pretty much straight away we were really fortunate mm-hmm. in that sense. And I was really lucky in that I never had any morning sickness. I didn't really have a lot of... I, I knew straight away that I was pregnant because I was very tired and I thought... Maybe before my period was even due, I thought maybe my iron's really low or something like that. Like I'm very aware of my body, and I just knew, knew something straight away. Um, mm-hmm. But apart from that, everything was pretty straightforward um, up until my 20 week scan. Um, so when I had when we had our 20 week scan, we were in the the um, women's imaging office and we knew straight away that there was something was not okay and basically what I was told was that my placenta was um you know they they say sort of low-lying placenta and you might hear different words like that but my placenta was basically covering my cervix Mm -hmm. um so they had said to me look you you you're going to need to go to the high-risk clinic Um, we'll need to be monitoring you and things like that. And I remember walking out of that appointment thinking suddenly I've got anxiety, I'm worried, you know, I hadn't planned for the fact that something like this might happen. Yeah. And, you know, know, I sort of would tell my friends and people would be like, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, um, anyone that has to have a cesarean is fine. Like as long as everyone's safe, you know, sort of be told things like that and for me that didn't really that didn't really help me at did you, the time. were you
0: like a did you really want a natural birth uh, was that the biggest uh, concern you had I or do,
1: I, I don't think I was as worried about that I think it's just I was more scared I, I became scared I think that I I'd, mm. I'd sort of hadn't really been thinking about it and then I felt like okay now I have to think about it and so When I went, because I had I was doing a shared care, which was awesome because my my we had a private obstetrician who also worked at the public hospital, and honestly, we had the best care. Honestly, could not fault it, and Mm. they were great. So it meant that I had to have more appointments, and then my they would say to me, "Look, you might start having some bleeding," and basically, we would just have to see what happens. Um, And so from I think I'd been out for tea one night with my family and um, I think I was about 27 weeks pregnant and I came home and, you know, I guess triggered to people but I'd started bleeding. Mm. So I'd had to go, I had to go to the hospital and so from then I basically spent in and out of hospital. For the most part, I was in hospital until 34 weeks when my when, when Spencer was born. Um, so I'd had to immediately stop going to work which again I hadn't you know planned or prepared for and obviously being in social work it wasn't really ideal because you know you've got clients and people that you've working with <laughs> you, mm. you suddenly can't sort of finish working with them and, and in my sort of work ethic I hadn't wanted to finish that way I'm a very I had wanted this like set streamlined plan of how it was going to go and how you know I could hand over to my work colleague that was going to be taking over from me and how I could sort of make it easy because I felt like an inconvenience as it was that I was mm. going to be finishing sort of mid school term and things like that so it was an interesting time. Um, but having said that, I'm actually very grateful for the experience, and I would not ever change. I would not ever change it. Um, yeah. Interestingly, so
0: did your placenta. So it obviously never moved after no. the cervix. It was there the whole time, and yeah. yeah. Mm, and yeah. Then
1: moved,
0: so you delivered through caesarean.
1: Yeah. So what happened was I basically spent all that time in hospital. Um, I had I'd had sort of ongoing bleeding the whole time I was there, and they just said we just can't let you go home because we can't be sure what's going to happen. So um, yeah, I just basically bunked up in the hospital, and I think it was at 33 weeks and oh no, 32 weeks. I had a a, a pretty bad scare and they and the obstetrician came in and said look you're basically
0: I don't think you're gonna
1: make it to 34 weeks like you're probably going to to be having this baby now mm. and then another obstetrician came in and said look I don't think that's the case so there was lots of mixed messages and it was really quite hard and I had like, there was nothing I could do but just stay right in there. that space and they yeah, probably I don't just, want
0: you to move too much right While well. that's yeah mm
1: you Know and for someone that had been quite a active, really active, you know, I was doing F45, I'd you know, always someone that was busy doing stuff, it was really hard for me just to be yeah. and not do a whole lot. Um, so that mental side of it was probably the hardest. So, um, yes, yeah, so basically about the yeah, 33 weeks, I think one of the obstetricians, I think, just felt so sorry for me. He just said, Look, go, I'll let you go home for the weekend, but if you Start, bleeding you have to come in by an ambulance, like, um, and it was really hard for Nick too. You know, he was with me that whole time. He ended up finishing, he basically finished work as soon as I went into hospital because at the time he was working week on week off away out on boats, um, and right. like they and like he just couldn't be at work away, because if I'd yeah. suddenly gone into labour, like or had to have the baby, he. So he was amazing like he would come into hospital every day, he'd bring me food, he'd be my company, like I honestly would have been so lost and so many of my other friends and family did as well and and I'm so forever thankful that yeah. that I had that experience. But yeah, so 33 weeks I went home and then yeah, started bleeding pretty badly and then I just said, "Yep, that's it. He's coming out." So yeah, it was Yeah, definitely a a life experience that I'll never forget. And, um, yeah, you know, up until that point, we'd had heaps of support and we'd met the sort of special care doctors and the NICU doctors and all that sort of thing that had explained that, you know, he was going to be born early and the types of things that we might need to be prepared for. Yeah which I think is really difficult to prepare for because in your mind I think we're naturally so positive and or can be naturally positive even when we do worry that oh yeah this will be fine this is not really the reality but I suppose when the doctor came in and said look you know when he comes out he might need help with his breathing and you know you probably might not be able to hold him and things like that I think that's when it really hit me how like the reality of what, what was this coming. situation was. Yeah, like you yeah. know, and, and in my mind, you know, I'd known people that have had had premmy babies and I would have been like, Yeah, it's fine, like I'm sure it'll be fine. But it's so different when you're in that situation and
0: that's your um, baby. yeah,
1: when you when it's your baby and mm. you don't get to go home with them. Like you you don't you don't get to have that start to to motherhood and um yeah it's so how having, was yeah.
0: how how was the Birth experience with having a cesarean.
1: Uh, Yeah, look, I think. Again, I felt so lucky. Like I, I, I think I'd gone back into the hospital about one a.m. or something like that. And thankfully, like it's not as like I don't want to paint this picture of it being as dramatic as what it was because it certainly wasn't. Like they call it an emergency cesarean, but like they basically said to me, "Look, you know, let's book you in for like ten a.m." you know and it you know as it was sort of got pushed out during the day and you know I'd had two midwives with me all day that were just like sensational and I'd had like an obstetrician that was quite intrigued by my condition that um you know I'd had so many amazing people around me one of my great friends was one of the NICU nurses like I'd I, you know, as someone that one of my friends that was an anesthetist. I saw her on the way in, so I just felt like I had.
0: <laughs> That's nice. A That's lot of, for you.
1: yeah, it is Tazzy. I feel like I had a lot of. I think it would have been such a different experience had I not have had no those things. Faces. So
0: yeah,
1: look, and obviously I feel for women that are in labour and then they have to go and have a cesarean. That would be really hard, being in the middle of contracting and things like. I didn't have to have any of those. Mm. other issues or anything. So, you know, it was quite straightforward, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was born in the afternoon. Um, I think, you know, basically they they checked him and he was pretty, like, pretty well okay. And mm-hmm. then they just took him to the NICU and I just had to go into recovery and, you know, pretty much for, um, you know, a period of time, obviously had to stay in recovery And then I don't think it was till later that night they sort of wheeled me into the, the Niku and I could sort of see him. I sort of don't really remember it. It's a bit, bit of a blur. Did you get to hold him
0: when he first was delivered or did they have to take him straight away?
1: They, they pretty much like they put him on my chest Mm when he and I to to see him. And then they basically just took him after that. So it was, it was very um, brief. Yeah. Very, very brief. Um, and we made the decision, well Nick made the decision that he would stay with me. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I, I suppose at the time, we knew that they were going to have him to be doing things like putting drips and stuff and that in him, and Nick just like it was just it was just really difficult at the time yeah. to know what was the right thing to do. So, yeah. And how long did he
0: well how long, so how long did you need to stay yourself in hospital for a couple of nights?
1: So, being the public system, you know, and I totally understand and and get their reasoning, they said, I think I had him on the Monday and I went home on the Thursday, which was pretty good. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, most of the time I was spending my, my time in the special care. So I was taking up, a, you know, I had my own room. I was taking up the, the bed essentially. So they said you know you can go home now and then he had to stay in hospital for another sort of three weeks after that so Mm -hmm. yeah
0: so he went home at 37 weeks
1: yes I think he was in there for about three and a half weeks he he was in the special care mm.
0: and this is a stupid question because I'm sure it was but (laughs) um it was obviously hard leaving and yeah and out each day and not being able to take your baby home yeah. when you wanted to
1: yeah it was it was really hard um I think that first night was definitely the hardest, like going home the reality of like, oh, this is very bizarre like i've like sort of had been sort of on a fair bit of medication yeah. sort of having had the cesarean, so I think when I went home it was a bit like, oh, I'm not sort of on this medication now i'm sort of a bit more with it and now i'm at home and now i'm still having to pump every three hours overnight and Mm. i don't have my baby here with me and i have to get up and go into the hospital and um but i mean there were some there were some positive to it and we don't know any different and i think for us like We got so much support and we got to learn how to be parents. You know, we had all the lactation consultants, the nurses, the midwives, the doctors, like... I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to know what it would have been like if you had to just come straight home. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, yeah. you know, we got we got shown how to do so many things and learn to do so many things. Um, That's a great way
0: to put a really yeah. positive spin on a very challenging situation. That yeah. You had a lot of time yeah. to get things down pat with absolute professional advice. Yeah. And
1: things like... Yeah, worrying about his breathing. I mean, I guess, like, I remember when he was at home, I, you know, I'm not sure if many others mums do this, but I find it hard to sleep worrying about, you know, whether he's okay. So I think mm. it was just a good sort of transition for us in a way. I would obviously not wish it upon anyone, but, you know, even things like a couple of times it was, you know, it was my birthday and Nick took me out for dinner after we'd had to sort of leave the special care. Just things like that that you wouldn't probably have done otherwise. Yeah. Had you not been in that situation, um, even for my recovery, I think, like, I had no option but to get up and get to that hospital every day. Mm. You know, I couldn't just stay in bed. I had to walk, you know, I'd walk. I'd park my car and walk into to town so that, like, I didn't have to pay for parking as much or I'd move my car, things like that. So I think yeah. that probably really helped me with my recovery. So what was
0: it like bringing Spencer home and the, the early days with a newborn and adjusting?
1: Yeah. Look to be honest, I, like that first kind of 3 months I felt was like pretty easy. Um I think because he was a preemie baby, like he was asleep all the time. Um he the only issues I really had was that I was trying to sort of build up my milk supply because he was asleep all the time. They'd said to me you need to wake him every 3 hours so even if and if he probably would have been sleeping overnight I wasn't in my mind, I wasn't able to do that. Whereas mm. I hear, I hear now other people saying, you know, let your baby do what it wants, don't wake it up to feed it, things like that. That is not the start I had into motherhood. The start I had was I was told I, should, I had to wake him every three mm. hours. I needed to be um, doing that. So I think, you know, I think I was on such an oxytocin high. I just felt such a strong protective instinct and love for him that I, Just was just relishing in it. Like I just loved him and I thought he was just the best thing ever, you know. And I think we were just so happy to be home that that first, you know, first couple of months, I think just really was not too difficult, thankfully, for us after what we'd been through. I think we really, we really needed that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was after that, probably, that things did change though. Um, I guess you know the honeymoon period <laughs> yeah. wears off a bit, um and I started to I started to put that pressure on myself, and I started to feel that pressure of like being the old me or thinking I needed to be the old me, and I remember someone had once told me like they fit into your life and not the other way around, and I think that 's probably what had have been my perceived view before I became a parent whereas when the actual reality was there that's not what it was at all and so I started getting really obsessed with like routines and what I thought he should be doing and and stuff like that and that was really unhealthy um okay. and unhelpful and I yeah I, I struggled with that for a period of time
0: how did you work through that or change that kind of mindset
1: um to be honest, I really struggled with it. Um, I probably from about, and it sort of, it unfortunately took a different turn in the sense that from about four to eight months, you know, I was trying to sort of get him on a routine. And then I went back to work at about eight months and he was really, he got really unwell when he was sick till he was kind of 18 months old. So the We'd had, like, then pretty well a good probably 12 months of it being a pretty challenging time, I'll be honest. Um, and sometimes I look back and I really don't know how I, like, got through right. it. But obviously I did have support and I made, um, you know, and I made use of that support. And, oh, again, I see the real... Sick. So he, I can still vividly remember the day that it happened. It was like March 2018. So he was yeah, he was born in July the year before. So he was what about eight? Yeah, mm. eight months old. Mm-hmm. And we'd been we'd been out, and he'd come home, and he'd gotten a cough. And literally, the cough lasted like for about three months, and he'd just be coughing. So he wasn't sleeping at all. Like he was coughing all the time, cough, cough, coughing. Then he started getting, like, chronic ear infections and then he actually ended up with, like, thrush and staph in his ears and it was just, like, the ENT didn't know mm. how to treat it and I was going to paediatricians that were telling me, I'd be like, saying things like, you know, he's not sleeping and they'd be like, oh, you need to camp it out and do things like that. And I'm thinking, like,
0: this, something or cry right. it out.
1: And I'm thinking, I'm not letting, like... I'm, I can't let my child just cry it out when I know there's something kind of wrong mm. with him. So that was a really that was why that time I think was so challenging for me because I lost my way in terms of listening to my instinct at times, and yeah. you know that's what I think made it really hard. But again, the biggest lesson that I've learnt from that is that for Nick and I, that we know our child best, and we know had a parent him and we know him better than anybody else mm. and yes we do need to get support and advice at times but um we you know in the end what happened was we we went through a kind of different range of alternative um treatments and we sort of had grommets and they came out like sort of two months later and things like that so we learned a lot about health and well-being and we had to change his diet and took him off dairy and gluten. And we've recognized that that's really important for him that whenever he has dairy and gluten, that his sinuses get really blocked up and his ears get yeah, really right. bad. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it was a real, yeah, it was a really interesting time. Um, but it felt like it was never going to get better for a, for a pretty big period yeah, of time Yeah, that's a long there. time
0: for something like that. So challenging yeah. and especially I think, you know, the lack of sleep does terrible things. Oh, but so bad. Thinking in yeah. distress as well is, you know, that's never nice knowing that, that yeah. people are struggling too. So.
1: And I was back, like, I went back to work at that time. So it was, it fell bang on being back at work. And, like, I can remember the first day back at work and I remember saying to my principal, like, you won't believe it, he's sick and it's my first day back at work. Oh, my husband's no. had to take the day off work and he's like, yeah. well, I would believe it. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> oh, that was sort of like the beginning of that. So he, uh, he um, and, you know, I was still breastfeeding as well. Like, thankfully, I only started back sort of two days a week and my work was very supportive. You know, because I had my own office, I could um, use my office and things like that. So it was really, that really helped. Yeah. So you
0: found the transition okay and was it always planned for you to go back and did you want to go back at that time or were you not quite ready? Hmm.
1: I think, like, having, in hindsight, I probably would have gone back a little bit later, to be honest, and I think when I have the opportunity next time, I would do the same for us, it just happened to work for three different reasons. So childcare, the, the earliest we could start him and have to start paying was like the 1st of March. Okay. Um, so it sort of just fell timing-wise that I was going to have to start sort of sending him and paying him from that date that was the latest that he could go. Um, it kind of worked with the timing of the school yep. um, term and I think, to be honest, it was kind of like in my mind back then it was like that's just what you did
0: yeah okay do
1: you know what I mean like I just think that's kind of the common that does seem to be the common norm for a lot of people I know and women to sort of go back to work around Mm -hmm. that time I suppose you're getting the you might get the um maternity leave and things like that so yeah, if you we, get the paid maternity so,
0: leave and you take that
1: yeah 20 yep.
0: weeks and then the government it, yeah it sort of tends to, have to work out about yeah
1: that, think, so that's it so I think like yeah I think my attitude's probably changed a lot around um sort of finances and the value of money and going to work and and mm. sort of I guess now in doing what I'm doing now is about supporting people and sort of creating the lifestyle that works for them, not necessarily about what you think you should be doing. So I think for me, it was quite a good balance. I managed to feed, And I think this ended up working out just because Spencer was so unwell that, you know, by naturally, he wanted, he wanted comfort all the time because he was so unwell. So for me, it was like, natural for me just to continue breastfeeding him and it kind of worked um and I'd had so much trouble with feeding and building up my supply that it just felt like the least that I could do it wasn't what I had intended to do but it just sort of worked out that way so okay. yeah
0: so did you so obviously it was two days a week he was in childcare while you were yeah so he went yeah.
1: Yeah, so he. I went back to work sort of two days a week to begin with and he was in care, um, which I feel I'd looked at a few different centres and, you know, I'd put his name down so early. I think I'd been about 15 weeks pregnant and I'm not sure what it's like um, in Melbourne, but here in Hobart and particularly in the area where we sort of are, you, you know, you do have to put your name down quite early.
0: In Melbourne, you fall pregnant and you go put your name down, like yeah,
1: same sort of thing. Yes. Yeah, it's
0: crazy. <laughs> yes,
1: it is. Crazy. To get into like, the
0: really good ones, I think the really good ones in the really nice areas, especially they're like
1: yeah, uh, worth their
0: wedding gold. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's a tip that someone had given me, and so yeah, I'd made sure that I'd sort of done that. And um, oh, we we're, we're very lucky with where he goes. I, I love all of the carers there, and they they provide such an amazing service and you know i did check out a few other ones and i knew straight away that i couldn't send him there so Mm. i just kind of went off that vibe and the energy and so yeah two days to begin with and then i think when he was about maybe 13 months old Mm -hmm. we started um getting some some help from nick's parents which Mm -hmm. was amazing so they we're very lucky. They do help us quite a lot, and we do get a bit of family support from from my my mum and family as well. But mostly, Nick's um, family help us, which is which we're very very thankful and lucky for that. So they have him one day a week, and he just adores that time with them, and vice versa. So tell us about
0: yeah. what you're doing career-wise now, because I know you're doing something really exciting. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I've got a got a bit on the go, so I'm still <laughs> working in my um my school job, mm-hmm. um, which I love. How many days and a week do you do that? So that that's two days a week, and yep. you know I'm really fortunate that I, you know, have the flexibility with school terms, and mm-hmm. I can take sort of time off um, within within that time. So that's great. Um, and so my other work is I've set up my own business. And that started out just sort of really organically because I'd been offered a position working in employee assistance um, counselling. So I had to sort of set up my own company. And that's something I just had not really considered doing. And then I thought, oh, mm. like wow, this is this is pretty exciting. I was also doing a life coaching course because I'd when I was I think when Spencer was about three months old and obviously something I would highly recommend to people is that it was so beneficial for me, you know, at that time I was really struggling. So I, yeah, I started, I started doing a life coaching course last year. And so through sort of setting up my own company anyway, for this other position, I then decided that I would kind of, yeah, set up my own business, um, which is called Penno wellbeing um, services where I provide um, life coaching and counseling services um, to people. And my, um, my area that I love working in, I guess is empowering parents and professionals through life seasons. So I feel like that really encompasses a range of people, but again, talk um supports people through whatever's happening for them and meeting them with where they're at at their time in their life because that's constantly changing i think that's the one thing i've really learned about motherhood Mm. is that nothing is ever staying the same and we have to continually step up and look at where we're at and um yeah figure out how to yeah how to manage and cope with with where we're at so
0: that's yes at the
1: moment yeah i'm doing that as well so which is great it's exciting
0: and do you can does it is it all um local face-to-face or can you do can you help people like online or
1: yeah to be honest most of the work and where i'm targeting is online um and through phone because again i think for me um being at home and meeting people um, more flexibly is is really necessary. Yeah. And particularly for parents and people that are working as well, it's sometimes just a little bit more um accessible, to be honest. Yeah. And I I've personally found in the work that I've done that people really um value that and they really like having the sort of um coaching's a bit different, but with coats with counselling, sort of having that. Um, yeah having that phone contact instead of the face-to-face sometimes can just be a little bit more comfortable for some people when they might feel a little bit daunted at the prospect Mm -hmm. of meeting somebody face-to-face that can be a bit daunting and make you feel a bit more vulnerable and maybe less likely to to do that, but that some people they really prefer that face to face contact. And oh, I'm connection. So,
0: yeah, I, look, I love that you're doing that, the options obviously there, but I think doing mm. the online stuff is brilliant because, you know, obviously times have changed so much over the last 10, 20 years around technology mm. and and accessibility and all that kind of thing. And I mean, the area I work in in particular, like I work for a, literally a tech bank um, that. Yeah. Even, you want to do you can do through an app in your phone you know and mm. there's plenty of other services that are trying to do things more online to make it easier for um,
1: yes. for
0: customers and then obviously getting more customers and or clients in doing it in that way and I think that you know the counseling area is an area where yeah it's probably that one area where you tend to only be able to go and see people face to face and I think it's a mm. different from people's time. Everyone is just became yes so much more time poor and literally yeah. just physically being able to get yourself somewhere at a certain time. And then, you know, through those services, if you don't make it and you cancel last minute, life happens, things come up mm. when you can't physically get somewhere, you tend to still have to pay for that service because, you know, obviously that yes. person has blocked out that time. So that That's then becomes right. frustrating. Um and so there's that element of time and, you know, just availability and then also the fact of I think a lot of people who haven't used services like that before probably Mm. would love, you know, it might be the fact that it is that they feel uncomfortable going and talking to someone face to face. So doing something might be knowing that that was an option might be, give them that comfort to take it up. So.
1: And definitely. And I still, like, I think that's what I love about coaching as well. I mean, I love counselling, but counselling and coaching are such different things. And there, I mean, I know for me sort of back when I started doing some coaching, I, you know, and I did go and see a psychologist as well at the time when I was in those early parenthood days and I have no, um, you know, difficulty in sharing that. Um, and I think that I, I probably didn't need to go and see a psychologist, but I did need support and what I liked about doing the coaching was that it was something for me and it gave me an opportunity to talk to somebody about what was going on for me and what I wanted and what I wanted to focus on and I think there's still unfortunately that stigma with counselling and I guess for some people they don't really want to delve they might not want to delve into their past or what's happened Mm. for them or and so I think coaching is really good because it talks about where you are at now and what it is that you're wanting to do in the future and I think particularly when you're in your motherhood stages like it is so much about what's happening right now and sometimes it's really that can be the tiring the exhausting part of it that it can actually mm. be really helpful just to get a bit of a bigger perspective on it sometimes mm. I know for me that was really helpful so oh, yeah and I think doing it flexibly is is definitely helpful so yeah Absolutely.
0: So we will absolutely share the links to your page um, on your episode so that anyone that's listening thinks it might be something that might be of interest for them. I'm sure they can do an initial inquiry, Kate, and find out what packages you offer or services and that kind of thing to what might suit them.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, thank you for that. So we'll
0: do that. And um, obviously, you know, doing the work with the school two days a week, having a young son, running and obviously building this kind of new business. You've got a lot happening. What do you what are the things you kind of try and do that are separate from all of that that are just for you?
1: Yeah, look, I um I really enjoy being on my own and I really value my own time, which I think, you know, it's obviously something that can be a bit challenging to to get to sometimes, but I've gotten so much better at prioritizing myself so I really enjoy sort of um you know going to Pilates and I um like to go for walks or or ride my bike or or running when Spencer's at home he still has like you know a day sleep so on the day that he's having his sleep you know for a long period of time there I was studying or learning Mm. but more recently I've been using that time just to relax and chill out and and, and have that time for myself um, because I know that that time will probably be coming up soon where he might stop having that sleep and I really prioritise catching up with my friends. It's like connection. Connection is the most important thing to me and I really struggle when I'm not having like really good connection with the people that I care about. So that for me is really important. So I really try and make sure that I'm always planning ahead. and, And even if it's just regularly texting my friends or text, um texting them so we can go out for breakfast or something or have a play date. Like I really make sure that I prioritize that all the time.
0: That's great. That's really good. Yeah. Do you, um what do you find, what are your biggest sort of challenges, I guess, right now? I know that, for most it's yeah. actually just about managing that work mum life mm. balance um what do you find is your biggest challenges and anything that you find that kind of maybe has helped in managing yeah. the balancing act
1: yeah look i i know that this might sound a bit controversial but i actually think that we've got a really good balance now i think we mm have worked really hard to, like, know what our boundaries and, like, non-negotiables are for our family. And so, to be honest, the main thing that I'm struggling with at the moment is that I, you know, now have a a two-and-a-half-year-old who's got that real desire for independence and we're having a lot of trouble with the car seat. That's probably the biggest getting into the car seat. That's probably my biggest challenge I have right now. But, again, the flip side of that is that I and learning and what works for me is knowing that when he's having his difficulty with his emotions that I normalise that and I know that I'm there for him and I have to hold that space for him so that I can keep calm and my patience as best that I can and I know I don't do it all the time but I try and do it as best that I can Mm. so that I can cope and manage when it gets a bit difficult because I know that it's just normal and it's a part of the time that we're in right now so yep. that's probably the biggest challenge just having a two and a half year old that's doing what's normal to them right now yeah <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> it's, t- it's not that, that word normal that's the thing isn't it it's like yeah it sometimes yeah. as an adult you just I know my daughter's just turned three and some of the things that um, that she has done over the last few months, you just kind of like, oh, like seriously, like cry because she wants a drink but then it's not the right one and, you know,
1: yes, yeah. and the
0: tantrums and all that kind of stuff. But it's just what the biggest thing that I kind of learnt through all of that was that that's just the phase that they're in and that's what's normal That's right. them and the challenges yeah. that they're going through and it's the only way that they know how to act. So as tough that's as it charming. is, yeah,
1: there's
0: reasons that they do these things. So,
1: Yeah, I had seen single like- experience yesterday when the the recliner seat was up and then he wanted it down and then he wanted it up and then he wanted it down and then he you know you you know and you're in that moment where you think i just have to stop for a minute and i'm like oh there's actually nothing i can do yeah (laughs) and i don't as in my parenting style and that's probably one of the biggest things that i like think is so important for people to learn in managing is knowing your parenting style um because I think it's really hard when you think you should be dealing with something in a certain way. Um, and for me, I know that the way I want to deal with it is in a very respectful way, where I don't like distract him or or, or use that as the first go to all the time. Like I don't want him to, I don't want either of us to avoid the meltdown in a way. Like, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, I yeah. think it's so important for him to experience that it's okay to be emotional and you know I'm really passionate particularly you know having a male and having uh, bringing him up that it's okay to express yourself and so that's really important to me so I think again that helps me ground myself in my parenting in those moments because I have to remind myself like what is it that I want in this situation what is it that I want for him and I don't want to just put him in, you know, and I'm not saying this is wrong for other people that do it, but I don't want to put him in front of the TV. And, yes, sometimes I might do it, but for the most part, I don't want to do that. I want to try and work through it with him and hold that space for him. It's very
0: interesting you say that because I think you start to, I've started to see now in my three-year-old reflective behaviour because I have mm, a one-year-old as well. Sometimes he's doing to a younger sister some of them are absolutely beautiful. And, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, I'm nailing parrot life because she's yeah, really yep. caring and attentive and just beautiful. And then other times she's, you know, standing over the top of her and pointing her finger. And I think, Oh my mm. God, that's me in certain times. I don't, yes. want, I don't want that. You kind of get so caught up in the, yep. of the um, stressful situation in the time. You're just trying to resolve it and get out of it as quickly as you can. But what you said yeah, is a great reminder to kind of think what's the, longevity or the future um, outcome I guess you want in in raising these kids to be who you want them to be yeah yeah I guess dealing with those direct little
1: situations as they come up so getting a bit more well it's kind of like short term Mm. versus long term isn't it and Mm. I think one of the one of the two of the kind of key messages that I always use all the time is like I want to be a role model and be the mirror and I will sometimes think like where is this behaviour coming from? And sometimes I have to... He's so... Like, my little boy is very sensitive and, I, you know, I'm sure every mum thinks this, but he's, like, quite intelligent. He's got very good speech um, and understanding and so I think sometimes I put too much... Sometimes I forget that he's two and a half Mm. and I have to remind myself that he is only two and that if his behaviour is challenging, sometimes it's actually... I have maybe been in a bad mood or I haven't been my best self and he picks up on that vibe and I know Mm. sometimes he is my mirror so if I look at him and I think why is he um behaving like that and it actually makes me reflect back on myself and sometimes I find that I actually need to change my own behavior and then it improves and it's Mm. it's it does work um I do believe I do believe that so
0: Mm, you've planted a little seed in my head in thinking about yeah. all of that and sure other people yeah feel the same way so good yeah reminder. it's worth a
1: try it's mm. worth a try like um you know I mean the simple way of thinking about it is when you're around someone that's kind of in a bad mood you can pick up on their bike yeah you? Yeah, yeah, yeah true and vice versa so yeah
0: but no, that's good what about so many, any
1: so many lessons
0: yeah, was well, is there any other kind of key pieces of advice or any words of wisdom or anything else that you wanted to impart or share?
1: Yeah, I think um one of the biggest frustrations that I can sometimes experience and I know other people do as well, is just that that sort of sensory overload. I don't know whether you experience this, but you know, sometimes where you just feel like there's just so many demands on you all the time. And so mm. lately I've been using play as like when he's been when Spencer's playing I use that as my time to almost be doing my mindfulness practice um Mm -hmm. and I just kind of lean into that time and I find that's when I can you know calm and breathe and connect to the present moment and that's been really good for me I find that um it means that I'm there and I'm I'm sort of present with him and being interested in what he's doing but I'm also taking that time to just kind of not think about what I should be doing or what I have to, you know, what I have to be doing. And, um, yeah, so I think that and um, mm. following, yeah, following your instinct and learning and identifying, like, what your parenting style is and really owning that and, and having really, um, being really clear about what, like, your values are and what's important to you so that when you're spending your time and you're having, you're putting in place boundaries around things, like, when you're at work or if you're leaving places and making sure that you're on time or you're taking care of yourself, things like that. Um, I think it really helps, yeah, to have clear boundaries around what's important to you. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I think great some advice of my key kind of messages that's yeah. good
0: thank you do you yeah
1: what um
0: what's kind of next for you and your family what what are the what are the key things you guys foresee over the next few years and what you want to get out of life
1: yeah we've um I think um oh so probably in about October last year we um sadly lost a family member um and I actually had a miscarriage and I think for us at that time, it made us really think about what we wanted for our family. And so we, and this is sort of what preceded, like Nick changing his work um, and okay. for me really solidifying what I'm doing in that we really want to focus on like our family and spending time with each other and, you know, hopefully expanding our family and just really having enjoyable experiences and adventures with each other. And I guess, you know, it's been so cool to reflect on in the sense that it's so much easier now. Like we've sort of made that transition to parenthood and Spencer is at a really good age where we sort of feel like we, we do the same sorts of things, but it's just at a different pace and a, at a different viewpoint Yeah. Um. in maybe how life was prior to having children. So I guess we find that we're having a lot more fun now and and joy and, like, appreciating those moments. Um, And I guess for us, like, we probably feel quite thankful that we've had sort of some time to ground, you know, our careers and get clear about our passions so that we are still, like, letting that happen. Um, But we've sort of got a really good balance right now. So... That's kind of what where we're at.
0: That's so good, and I love that you've used yeah. a again using challenging situations to turn you know into a positive uh, positive one. In the sense, I think that sometimes people can go through things like loss and deal with grief and kind of come very internal and not mm. and not open up. So it sounds like you guys have obviously grieved in both of those losses together and communicated it and then become really reflective and looked at what you want to change, what you want to, you know,
1: Yeah.
0: Do. so good on you guys. That's awesome. You've thank got you. a great open relationship, which is wonderful.
1: Mm, thank you. Well thank yeah. you
0: so much for coming on. It's been so great to talk to you. I there's so much good advice in there and I think you've been wonderful and can't wait to share, can't wait to share this episode around and, um, share your website and all the beautiful work that you're doing. I, um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you. I've really appreciated your time and, um, yeah, I hope that, um, people can take some things out of this around, yeah, I suppose what season they might be in with, with parenthood and being a mum and, um, and yeah, just grounding themselves so that they know they can get through whatever comes their way.
0: Excellent. I think that one of the key things that I want out of this podcast is that I want anyone listening to almost really directly relate to um, anyone that comes on the episode. So I love hearing stories from different walks of life and mm. different, you know, everyone's got a different story um, and I just want people to be able to relate to to one in particular, you know, in the whole sense, but then I'm sure any that, yeah. that they'll pick little bits and pieces out. And I just love getting the messages of people saying, you know, I had a message from a friend the other day, um, who'd listened to Julia's episode Julia had had the baby in NICU for a long period of time yeah And she was really sick and and my friend Blair that listened she had gone through something similar and she just you know she said it was obviously really challenging listening to it but it was finding comfort to hear that other people went through it and felt the same and to know that you're not alone and and just, yeah, I think it's just sharing um, and opening up stories. And I mean,
1: I, I really think it's hard because in the early days, like people would say things like, oh, you'll get through this or, um, you know, you'll sleep again one day or you'll get to spend time with your partner again one day. And I think it is when you're in those pits, like when it's really tough, you do find it hard to hear that. And I think that's mm. what's so great about what you're doing is that, like you said, if we can we can collectively support one another in in being able to get that sense of belonging that we do know what each other is going through in some way, shape or form, if we have, even if we haven't had the same experience, it does help to build that um, sense of connection and belonging. So, yeah, like well done for creating that for so many women um, in listening.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so thank you again so much for coming on to the listeners. If you can like, comment, share, do whatever you possibly can to get more people listening to these beautiful stories. Um, If you do have an iPhone and you're on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to go and give it hopefully a five-star rating and leave a review. It just helps to get much broader reach and get these messages out there and get more connections happening. So thank you all for listening. We will see you all in the next episode.